Hi, my name is Mahmoud Ibrahim. And I'm Jazz Galati, and we wanted to make the best occlusion course in the universe. Now, we know that sounds like a big task and a huge ask. But we did I it. we did it. We did it. We finally made OBAB occlusion, basics and beyond. And we really, really worked our butts off to give you an occlusion course that is going to be applicable to real-world dentistry. So what's included in this pre-launch deal? Well, we've got five different things for you. First of all is the OBAB starter kit. We're going to send you a starter kit so you can start implementing the concepts we're going to teach you straight away on Monday morning. It's got a Huffman leaf gauge we imported from the US, and this is our favorite leaf gauge. It's also got a pack of shim stock in it, so you don't have to use your fat fingers every time. We're going to send you a pair of Miller forceps as well. The starter kit is worth £100, and we'll start shipping it once the course access begins on 7th of April. I think really anyone interested in occlusion, whether you are at the beginning of your career, in the middle, or even getting towards the end, uh, would learn a huge amount from this particular program. The second benefit of this pre-launch deal is we're going to give you £500 off of the cost of the course. And you can take our word for it that we're never going to price it this low ever again. And this course truly has an unbelievable return on investment. The third benefit of the pre-launch deal is that instead of getting 12 months of access, we're going to extend that so you get two whole years of OBAB. And that's a no extra charge. And we're going to be adding lots of new cases and content as we go. I felt like I finally understood topics that I just struggled to wrap my head around for years. Um, and that's purely down to the way in which the content's delivered. The fourth benefit of this pre-launch deal is you'll get one fully mentored case with us included. That, I think, is, is massive. So we've set up a case forum and you can submit your cases for mentorship. So you get one fully mentored case at no additional cost worth £550. We're here to help and we want to help you through your cases. We want to hold your hand through some of these cases and you have the opportunity to do that without feeling bad as part of a structured and organized way. And last but not least, it's the OBAB book. Now this is going to be a fantastic companion to the online course. And it's got the world's first visual glossary of occlusion. This is going to blow your mind. It's going to explain occlusion to you like you're five years old. Fairly advanced five-year-old. Yeah, very, very intelligent five-year-old. But you get the point. We are so confident that you're going to get an amazing return on investment because Understanding inclusion unlocks so much of restorative dentistry and you'll start taking on bigger cases and you'll start having more fun in dentistry. Now this pre-launch deal ends on the 21st of March. So what are you waiting for? If you are finally ready to say that occlusion doesn't confuse me anymore and you want to go from assessment, diagnosis and delivering high quality dentistry because that's what occlusion allows us to do then let's take a giant leap towards predictable dentistry. It is the best course that I have ever done and I would recommend it to any dentist, whether you have a basic understanding of occlusion or even an advanced one, you will still gain a lot from this course. Take advantage of this pre-launch deal ending on the 21st of March. Sign up at occlusion.online. That's right, guys. We are celebrating the pre-launch deal, which ends on the 21st of March. In this episode, we talk about our philosophy of occlusion. Well, in a nutshell, occlusion for us is how to stop your shit from breaking. It's about longevity, predictability. It's about reducing the number of remakes you have to do. But, and a big but, it's about having more fun in restorative dentistry and moving away from single tooth dentistry. It's about lengthening someone's incisors in a way that you can sleep at night knowing that when it fails, when it fails, it won't be anything to do with your occlusion because that was on point. 
And that, my friends, is really, really liberating. Hello, Patrice Rati. I'm Jazz Glati, and I'm joined by my partner in grind, Dr. Mahmoud Ibrahim, as we mark the launch of Obab, Occlusion Basics and Beyond. So, Mahmoud, when people say philosophy of occlusion, what does that, what does that even mean? I mean, it's a good question. Philosophy sounds really sort of grand and complicated, doesn't it? And Religious. It probably uh, sells a lot of forces. But honestly, for me, it's more about a set of priorities or a way of thinking. Occlusion for me really is about applying certain principles that I've, you know, decided work for me to allow me to make my restorations last longer and for patients to be comfortable. Because ultimately, I don't really care whether I'm using canine guidance all the time or using group function or, or what I just want it to work and I want it to be easy and predictable. And may maybe then it's not philosophy, maybe it's guidelines that we're taught, but then knowing when to deviate away from those guidelines, is, is that a better term than philosophy maybe? Occlusal guidelines? I think it's more about learning to see, essentially. You got to be able to look at your patient and try and figure out what is it that they do that could endanger my restrictions and then apply those guidelines in order to try and mitigate that risk and give your restorations the best chance of survival possible. And what do you think your way of thinking about occlusion, what's that been molded by? Because there's so many different schools of thought and that's why the number one thing I hear and over the last three years of the podcast, the most number one biggest question I get is, I want to learn occlusion, it confuses the hell out of me, where do I begin? So uh, what has been your influences? Where did you begin? Okay, so I mean, my experience with occlusion probably started five years after graduation, so 2010, maybe. And do you um, wish you'd done it earlier? earlier? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I would have probably enjoyed my dentistry more um, and I would have been able to do more interesting dentistry, which ultimately is what brought me back to dentistry and to enjoying dentistry because I was, honestly, I was about to. If you don't know the story already, Mahmoud almost uh, went into the world of IT uh, yeah. and, and away from dentistry at one stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was just sick of not knowing when something was going to work and when it wasn't. Whether to lengthen the tooth and worry about the chipping or yeah. whether you can do a crown of a certain material or not, will it work? Is that kind of... Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, adhesive dentistry or endo. There's a lot of things where you can learn the steps and as long as you get good isolation, you use a good bonding agent, you don't edge the dentine, et cetera, you're probably going to have success. And, and they adhesive dentistry and endodontics have got good data, so we know what works. Yeah. Whereas in occlusion, we don't have systematic reviews or long-term trials. And even if you did, the population samples, patients are different. You've got class two people, class three people, people with big masters, people with long masters, uh, people with missing teeth, people with full complement teeth, people who are periodontally susceptible. How are you supposed to get good quality evidence when it comes to occlusion, which is why it doesn't exist? It doesn't exist. So if that's what you're looking for, you're not going to get it. But sorry, what we do try and do is, you know, th there's a lot of people that have been teaching including for a very, very long time using different philosophies. There is you know, the nathology, there is Panky Dawson, there is the LVI, the neuromuscular, and you find that a lot of them have a lot of success. And the key then is look at what do they have in common, okay? Because the reason a lot of them have success is at the base of it, actually, a lot of things are very, very similar. They tend to disagree a lot on the differences, but they do have a lot of... So for me... Well, maybe the way I like to think about it is the way they restore someone's mouth, the, the records at the beginning might differ a little bit, but mostly there's very important the foundational assessment. 
the recordings, the different tools they use to record are, are, are different. A lot of their goals of their final occlusion will be similar and a lot of the smiles will look identical once restored okay. the, where the dots and lines are, are more or less the same, not always, hmm. but it's getting from A to B and A is the same as the patient. B, they all look very similar and they will work. But that journey from getting to A to B, that thought process may differ. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the why, the why, and the one big thing you're going to get from the course that Jazz and I put together is how to think about each patient as an individual with a specific set of circumstances. You analyze what you see and then apply some overarching principles that allow you to deduce that journey right, and how to get them from A to B. And I think once I started figuring out what I didn't know, such as occlusion, and then I started really diving deep, you know, the, the people that come to the forefront in terms of influencing me are people like Frank Spear, Dawson. We both did the Stephen Fielding curriculum. Michael Melkers. Michael uh, You know, and I think with a lot of aspects of dentistry, it's very similar. You want to experience a broad range of knowledge and education because you do end up forming your own, I don't want to say philosophy, but you... <laughs> Back to that word again. Yeah, I know. But you know, to me, it's always been about when I look at a patient or they come in and they're telling me what it is they want to change or what their problem is, I want to be able to look at them and at their mouth and at their teeth and think, I see why this has happened. And I know what to change with my occlusal design as such to try and not let it happen again too quickly. Yeah, because ultimately we know that, for example, if a patient grinds their teeth, they're probably going to carry on grinding their teeth after you've restored them. So it's not about making them stop. It's about ensuring that your restorations have the best chance of surviving what they're going to do to them. Like in the course, you have a whole section on force management, force mitigation. So it's not stopping the forces. It's really reducing them and not even controlling them, but allowing them to be dissipated in a way that's going to be better for the longevity of your work. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it because the other influence I had in terms of occlusion, funny enough, was probably my physics teacher at school. And I just didn't realize it at the time. So I know, Jazz, when we first, and I sort of mentioned to you that for me, occlusion has a lot of similarities between it and physics and, and how I apply sort of force management and force physics to occlusion. And you're like, okay, let's, you know, let's not make it too physics-y, geeky, yeah. you know, that sort of thing, because, you know, people will switch off. But at the same time, physics provides predictability. It provides a way of thinking that, you know, you'll read a lot of literature around occlusion. And a lot of it will say, in some people, giving them canine guidance will shut the muscles down. In some people, it doesn't. In some people, this and that. So biology has a massive variation. Whereas if you're going to apply the laws of physics, they will always apply. The biological system is not a physical system. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But when you apply those principles in a logical way, it can help you, just like you said, direct that force in a way that is less harmful to your restrictions in the patient's team. What we're, we're dealing with is biology. So the, the main challenge is how do we apply these laws of physics to a biological person? And, and, and I like the word occluding scheme, and you will see that from the course. So how do we actually apply that to a human? That's a big part of what we discuss. But before we talk a little bit more, just my background, I did a lot of the occlusion courses very early on. I had some great mentors and my principals that I work with, 
Shout out to Hapgill, who introduced me to the Panky philosophy. I did the Dawson full curriculum in the UK just as it was, uh, as it was finishing. I've done lots of online content by Spear, influenced by Panky, and some of the restorative consultants like Kushar Gadia, Ace Academy. So I've had lots of influences. And people sometimes wonder, saying, hey, Jazz, if you listen to so many different schools of thought, isn't that going to confuse you? And what I found was that when I went on one course, I was like, whoa, this is really new, it's really confusing. When I went on the second course, I was like, oh, I know a little bit, but that's all really confusing. When I went on the third one, okay, actually, I've heard this before. I can now do my first Lucia jig based on the third course, maybe not the first time. And then now when I go on an occlusion course, it's validation. Now, yes, I haven't done neuromuscular. I'm aware of them. I'm reading more about them and they do use tens and whatnot, which is really fascinating. But the daily practical dentistry that I'm doing involves all of those schools of thought that I've learned from and I'm getting good results. And that's what it's about in terms of giving you the ability to sleep at night, knowing that your work is going to work. And so what dentists say also is on the theme of physics and biology, they say that jazz. I don't know anything about occlusion. And I've been doing just fine for the last 25, 30 years. My crowns are sometimes proud and sometimes I do something about it, sometimes not so much. And patients don't really complain of pain. They don't not have any issues. Is occlusion really that important? Yeah, I mean, ultimately it depends on what kind of dentistry you want to do. You can plant it low and let it grow, but that only works to a certain extent. And if you want to do slightly more interesting dentistry, treat toothware cases, do more cosmetic cases, orthodontics, all of these well, things. Well, you know, these, these guys might be doing cosmetic cases, but they might, and, and I think, in my philosophy, and I think you are the same, is that someone who doesn't think about occlusion and occluding the way that we do, and they are doing some veneers or edge bonding, and they don't do the checks that we might suggest are really good to do, they might experience more premature failure, more chipping, and then just smooth it off and not know why things happen, yeah. but they might still attempt to, to make things look like, and sometimes they might get lucky because patients adapt. adapt. Exactly. You can rely on the patient's adaptability, but isn't it better to be able to bring them or bring your work slightly closer into their ability to adapt, you know, but make the chances that they won't be able to adapt to it just that little bit smaller? Because ultimately that's what we, that's all we can do. And something we do introduce in the course that's maybe a little bit new is so what I like to call a sort of margin of safety occlusion. Moso. Moso, yeah. Because we can't really apply physics to a biological system. There's just too much variation. There's too much, you know, squishy bits. Um, you need to build in a margin of error. So, you know, if you think that we're going to teach you how to get pinpoint contacts, tripodized, you know, the way it closes on the articulator is exactly the way it's going to be in the mouth every single time. That's just not realistic. Okay, you need to give yourself a little bit of margin for error, a little bit of room to maneuver or for the mandible to maneuver, if you like, so that when you go into the patient's mouth with the work, there's less adjustment to do because you've just given yourself a little bit of leeway. So a range at which things can work. And that's generally how I like to sort of plan my more complex cases. So those people wondering about, you know what, I'm doing just fine, probably is somewhere. And I was doing a study club the other evening spoke to a wonderful dentist and she loves her dentistry, but she refers a lot of things out. And I just feel as though dentistry, just like you said earlier, got exciting for me when I was able to think beyond the single unit. As LD Panky said, you know, don't be a single tooth dentist, okay? And don't do single tooth dentistry. And it's no harm in doing single tooth dentistry. It can make you a lot of money and feed your family. But when you really have fun is when you actually potentially open up the OVD or when you're doing a couple more units with predictability and confidence in yourself that you can deliver this and it's going to be comfortable 
and your patient will not break things over time. And that brings you real joy as a dentist. Now, I don't want people to get into occlusion thinking, oh, I can make more money from it. Because the downside is that when you become more meticulous, it might slow you down. And then maybe you're paying for wax ups that you weren't paying for before and maybe for materials and stuff. And then just going through the phases of phase one, then temporaries, then the collaboration, et cetera. Might not necessarily mean you make a lot of money, but naturally when you're treating bigger cases, finances will eventually come because you end up giving great aesthetic outcomes that last. And that itself is, I think, golden for dentists. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately, you know, your reputation, right? That, that's what will bring people through is knowing that you're thorough, you're able to deliver and your results last. And the other thing to think about is actually a lot of your patients would benefit from a bigger picture, from looking at their whole mouth and treatment planning more comprehensively. You know, single tooth dentistry is what most of us do, but that might not always be the most appropriate when the best know, the interest in the best interest of the patient. And if you're shying away from doing it because you just don't know how or you're worried, then again, we might not be serving our patients in the best way possible. Um, so I think that is another benefit of inclusion, giving you that confidence to beyond that single crown. But the problem, I guess, with the way occlusion causes are pitched to dentists, to the world, is full mouth rehab. It's all glorified, the full mouth rehab. Whereas what I think one of the things that makes OBAB special is that we really pride ourselves on real world occlusion. You're going to see people with crossbites, people with periodontal disease, people with partial dentures and a lopsided occlusion. And you've only got to do a couple of units. But boy, those couple of units will make you think and plan and how to become a good conformer because my mood, like we're not prosthodontists, we're not specialists. Most of my dentistry is conformative. I have great fun when I get to reorganize. That means changing the occlusion to get the best benefit and the best result. But how to become a good conformer? Because we don't get taught that. No, you leave dental school, not really knowing how to conform well to an occlusion. And when I say conform well, it doesn't mean that the patient goes, you put the curtain in and you ask the patient, how does it feel? And it goes, yeah, I can't even feel it. It's like you've done nothing. Mm -hmm. We don't want that. I want my conformative dentistry to contribute to the existing inclusion. Okay. Plant it low, let it grow is a philosophy, right? If we're knowing philosophies, it's one way of doing it. And you're relying a lot on the patient's adaptive capacity. You're relying on the fact that that tooth may or may not over erupt mm -hmm. into what? Who knows? Right? But, um, but, but the, when I do a composite and I sometimes have been generous with the anatomy, you know, take the photo for Instagram, take off the rubber dam, patient bites together. And I haven't looked yet, but I asked the patient, everything feeling okay? And the patient says, yeah, that feels great. But when you look, they've got open bite on the other side. And then even though the patient says it's fine and they might even adapt, I take my time and I say, look, I need a couple of minutes to make this right so that you have to do the least amount of adaptation possible. And that's a big part of what, what we teach. It is. You want to try and minimize the amount of adaptation the patient has to do because ultimately, we do rely on the patient adapting in most of our work. You just need to make it little adaptation as, as possible. And the way we try and pitch it as well is instead of just conforming and contributing, we also talk about idealizing the inclusion. In your little map of the world, in your little corner of the mouth that you're working in, you do have the scope to make sure that your restoration has the best chance of succeeding by changing maybe certain contacts and things we go into the why. Why do I want contacts that are not on inclines? Well, so to make that even more tangible, it's a bit like when you're doing a class two restoration, you're doing a composite, something that you, you mentioned earlier. When you're doing a class two composite restoration 
and you will look at the tooth next door. And if you yeah. see an, a ledge in the amalgam, you're going to fix it. You're going to get a burr, tongues and carbide, smooth that so that A, you improve their periodontal prognosis because you got rid of a ledge, but you can get a better contact for your class two. Yeah. So but you've conformed, you've done the class two, but you've also improved the situation. Now we can apply the same to occlusion. It's just given this big term occlusion, it gets very scary, but essentially it's restorative dentistry, which means that you look at the opposing tooth and imagine the tooth you're restoring fractured, the restoration previously fractured, and you've got limited space for your composite and you want at least two millimeters for an occlusal area. And then you look at the tooth above and it's got this sharp, pointy, useless plunger cusp. It's about teaching you to know when it's safe to adjust, how to adjust it, and how you can improve the longevity of your restoration. That, that word, again, that we keep using is longevity. Occlusion, in some people, is the key to longevity. For others, they'll adapt brilliantly and they'll get great success. But when we are charging patients money for comprehensive work, gosh, we want it to work. And that's what it's about. Because yeah. ultimately, you will feel that you've done a good job. You'll feel better. But also, it builds your reputation. And ultimately, the work lasting a long time, being comfortable from day one, day two, means that your patients will love you for it. They'll talk. And that's how word spreads about a dentist with a good reputation. And it takes, as Michael Malcolm teaches us, it takes a lifetime to build a good reputation. But it won't take one patient to ruin it. So you want to be trying to do your best for every single patient. And go to bed knowing that the incisal edge bonding you did or the veneer you did is not going to fall off or whatever because you followed guidelines. I've got philosophy again, that word. That's going to mean a successful outcome for the long term. And you've mitigated the forces, which is something that you talk about a lot. So Mamu's got a whole five-part series on what we call force mitigation and how to plan the, how the dots and lines look like, even for a single tooth, to make sure that you don't overload the restoration, you don't overload the periodontium, and you get a successful long-term outcome. One of my favorite things in dentistry is seeing recalls coming back and not needing to do anything else and everything's still there working. That's a great thing that all restorative dentists want to aspire to. And you know, like the, these days, like we're, I mean, if you follow my Instagram, you see it, how much sort of edge bonding, composite veneers. You, you know, do like a lot of delicate work. To... You do a lot of delicate resin work anteriorly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely love it. But I tell you what, I would hate it if I had to, for every case I did, have to repair, you know, every other edge or, you know, it would just drive me insane. I just wouldn't want to do it How many failures, how many edge chipping failures do you get from your years of doing the edge bonding and, and delicate work you do? Um, I mean, I think I probably could think of one patient that I've had repeated failures because it was lengthening the teeth beyond what I wanted to lengthen. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, patient-driven treatment, which we probably should, it's a whole other lecture. Patient dictated. It's patient dictated, yes. But other than that, honestly, it's where, it's very, very rare. And it's yeah. usually where I've used a very pretty but weak composite and it's the join between the two. That's, and that, with the very, level very of work rare. that you do, it's quite rare. And it's, you know, you do a lot of this day in, day out and uh, over the years. But also, I just want to add, is a lot of dentist protocol is, Lengthen the teeth, but then give them an Essex chain, a dual laminate bite guard to almost mm. negate the influence of the occlusion. And therefore, we're like, you know what, just wear this guard. Or did you do something chip? Or were you wearing the guard or not? You don't give every patient a splint after they've had bonding. Is that, is that right? Um, not a splint. I mean, some of them get Essex retainers, but that's but mostly because... Or restorative plan. Exactly. Or even, you know, as Tiff Crush always teaches, the teeth do continue to move as we get older. So if I've adjusted my edges to work in a particular way together. I don't want those lower edges moving. Being able to manage the occlusion gets you to think 
beyond the three, four, five years of this composite surviving. I want it to survive long past where the teeth would have migrated. I think what we want is when the failure happens, not it, but when the failure happens, I'd be happy if it didn't fail because of cracks, chipping, mechanical like failure. Staining, uh, or something. staining. If yeah. it's an aesthetic failure of your composite after t 10, 12 years, that's, that's a good sign that you're doing something right in your occlusal design, a wax up and that kind of stuff. And because of the prevalence of this, by the way, like I spent, honestly, there's probably a four or five part series in the course dedicated to lengthening teeth. And that's probably one of the bits I'm the most proud of because I do a lot of it. And if you, if you take the time to, to think about what you're doing to a patient's occlusion, envelope of function, all of these things that we will talk about in depth by lengthening teeth, you can do it very, very predictably. Case. And you can even shorten teeth. Like one thing I used to be scared of is what if, it, like my sister, my own sister, many years ago, it's like eight years ago, she wanted me to, she has long central incisors and she said, can you shorten it? At the time I was thinking, wait, will this mess up the anterior guidance and all these things? I didn't know what to do. I just said, no, no, we can't shorten it. And now I've actually got my laws and, and philosophies again. Really? And so we share that in terms of, okay, when is it safe to shorten teeth, enamelplasty, and not being afraid of doing that with a purpose, how you communicate that to patients. And ultimately it means better outcomes aesthetically, but more importantly, longevity and predictability of the opposing restoration. Yeah. So this was like a little unscripted preamble, uh, me and Mahmoud. We started with philosophies of occlusion and we're so proud of OBAB. It's the next two minutes. Let's give you a taster of what OBAB is. I mean, it's been many months of progress, early mornings, Who late nights. It? I don't know how Mahmoud did it. He's got, he's got three kids and he's a, he's a fantastic clinical dentist. I'm sure you all know and have seen already. It was, it's been a challenging ride. It sure has. It sure has. I mean, but you know what? When you love doing something, you know, you get up and you do it and it gives you the energy. You don't have to bring it. And the response from the beta testers, which we really relied on in terms of, because the mission is very bold. It's the most bravest thing I've ever done. It's like, if your dreams don't scare you, then it's probably not worth it. And the dream is, was, and still is, this is going to be the best occlusion resource you ever did. I know there's some big continuums and pathways, level one, two, three, four. This is just OBAB. But one course, that takes you from, I, occlusion confuses me, to, you know what? I can start planning bigger cases. I can conform well. I can do two units, three units, quadrants, and then build you up to full mouth eventually. And the way we designed it is that you can dip in, dip out, as and when you have that patient who applies to that patient from module four, lecture three, for example. And I don't think there's anything out there that focuses so much on being a good conformer and real world dentistry, RWO. Yeah, I mean, we've taken the feedback really, really seriously as well. And, um, you know, we're going to make this really applicable to your day-to-day -day dentistry. And you're going to be able to take from it what you feel is most applicable to where you are in your career right now. And it will elevate you. Whether you want to, if you want to stay you know, just doing day-to-day -day conformative dentistry, but doing it well. Um, like, 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 for example, I met a lovely dentist on a course this weekend and, and my own wife, community dentist. And they are not doing fancy dentistry, but will they benefit from learning basic occlusion and conforming well and knowing how much, how to manage the space that they're working in? Yes. So my wife's actually excited to do the occlusion course as well because she feels, she openly says, I don't know anything about occlusion. Can you help me, Jazz? I was like, don't worry, me and my mood got you covered. You mean your knowledge hasn't like... It doesn't osmosis. Osmosis, no? It doesn't osmosis okay. at all. <laughs> so, so community dentists, I think will benefit from this but also to that dentist who's done all the continuums and just wants to consolidate it and actually see real world dentistry in the coalface is what essentially what it's about. 
we've actually got a couple of our beta testers that have done a couple of the bigger sort of continuums and things that and have 30 years experience, 20 yeah. years experience, and down to two so, years experience. So we've had a good range good of people range. give the feedback and we've acted on it. Now, you may have been taught things like canine guidance or group function or custer fossa or don't let the back teeth touch, posterior interferences. You know, all these words might ring a bell. And confuse you. Exactly. And it's why. Okay, why do these things matter? Why do they insist on no non-working side interferences? But group functions, okay. And then there's a the whole thing about, actually, this is not a non-working side interference. It's a non-working side guidance. Well, so when is it a guidance? When is it, when is it an interference? They look the same. They look the same, but there is an answer. Okay, there is a reason. And it's when you understand forces, force transmission, what makes a force possibly harmful, then you can apply that knowledge to each scenario because patients are different. Their occluding schemes are all different. And it's not about a good one or a bad one. It's about, does this patient tolerate their existing including scheme? Does it cause them problems? Do we see signs of occluding disease? Or is everything working fine? You know, that patient, I think you saw a picture of someone who's only got contact on their second molars. Mm -hmm. you know, on just it. one side. Just one side, and that's it. And you said he can... He's what did you say? He, he said he could eat fine. And yeah, anyway, you made some comments. No, no, the, the, the comment of it was, that was the other guy who was a dentist. Um, oh, yeah. He was the dentist guy I met in Singapore, and he's been a dentist for like the last 12 years. And I gave him his first denture, but I was like, how are you coping? And he was, he was an obese guy. And, and no obviously problems. he was coping just fine. <laughs> so you work with what you've got. So, but yeah, the point is that it, it's not, you can't just look at an inclusion and say, okay, class one canines, gut canine guidance, you should be fine. You know, your, your occlusion is, ticks all the boxes. I'm not my problem that you've got you know, joint pain or you've got worn out teeth or you've got this, it's your occlusion's fine. It's, does it, does it work? Well, what is, what is the outcome? What is the effect of that occluding scheme? So that's what we want to show you how to read or see. Just like you prescribe shade, just like you prescribe, I want a crack line here or a crack line there. You can prescribe occlusion to your technician. Ultimately, they will not give you what you don't ask for. Mm -hmm. And that restriction is your responsibility, no matter what, you know, the technician is doing. Ultimately, what you put in the patient's mouth is is down to you. And uh, just like you prescribe anything else, that I also prescribe, I give them an occlusive prescription for every case. And we'll teach you how to do that. I'll show you examples. And again, I'll teach you why I ask for certain things in certain situations, because not every patient you're going to have is going to fall into a particular category that I can give you. Uh, the thing I'm most proud of, Mahmoud, from OBAP, and this is like, we're going to finish off with this. I'm so, so proud of it is, you don't need to buy the £40,000 machine X. You don't need to buy the $8,000 or $12,000 machine Y. All you need is an open mind, a little bit of time to dedicate to the course, a gloved finger, a shimstock foil, a leaf gauge. There's no fancy kit to buy afterwards because you probably have gloves, a leaf gauge, and, and that kind of stuff already. There's, no, there's nothing to, to sell you in terms of you need this machine and that machine. There's no Doppler to buy. We teach you real-world occlusion that you can apply straight away. Because although I do talk about the T-scan, for example, and I have got one, and then module five, so it's five modules and different colors represent a different module. And, and then the, our logo is essentially adapted from the occlusal compass, right? The different colors of the occlusal compass. And then the, the last little bit, the red bit is, okay, we're gonna show you some math rehabs that we've done, right? And what we've learned from it and what, how you could apply it and how you could think full bigger picture. And then I'll show you the cases that I've used a T-scan or I haven't. 
but you do not need a module. You do not need a T-scan. I said the words and I was, I was being around the bush earlier. Did I say mechanoreceptor? Uh, no, <laughs> forbid this guy from saying the word mechanoreceptor, but he said it about four times in a course, all in one lecture, but it's important to, to cover these. To get out of my system. Yes, he needs to release it. So he did. So guys, we are so excited to launch Obab. It's hopefully going to be like a, are we not so, near retiring or death, but it's like a legacy thing. Is that what you're thinking? Absolutely. Were you thinking the same thing? Yeah. Wow. Like a legacy that, you know, we want to think, look back and say, this is the, my proudest achievement uh, as an educator, as a dentist, and in all realms, like my proudest contribution to society was making occlusion tangible. And I'm so mm -hmm. glad that Mahmood exists and we came together in Clash Heads. The lectures, just the imagery, the visuals and the analogies that you get from Mahmood are just out of this world. And actually what difference between me and Mahmood, you guys should know, and why you get the benefit of us both and also our mentors is the following. And this is going to blow your mind. I use every single trick <laughs> under the sun to avoid using an articulator. I'll use stick yeah. bites, photos, digital wax ups at the required occlusal vertical dimension. And in the full mouth rehab at the very last stage, I'll secure, okay, fine, I've got to use an articulator only because the technician wants to be able to do the movements on the articulator. Yeah. Whereas this guy will teach you how to worship the articulator <laughs> and how to, how to finesse it and how to really love and care it's for your it. Friend. So you get it's both, your friend. You get both ways, how to cheat and how to uh, do it by the book. By the old school book. But it works. It, they both work. You just need to know what information are you trying to gain from what you're trying to do and who you're trying to pass it on to. And as long as you're both on the same page, you and your technician, both ways work. Then yeah, I think, I think the synergy is amazing. I mean, obviously you get some amazing communication stuff from Jazz. His in-depth knowledge of TMD is probably, you know, top 1% in, in, this, in this world. But by uh, the way, this, this, this is not a TMD course. What we cover in one module in the, in the examination records, uh, history taking, like we, I cover it at good depth, but it's not so that we can treat TMD. It's more that we can kind of exclude TMD or basic management before we can pass go and keep then you safe. keep you safe. That's yeah. it. Keep you out of trouble so that you know, okay, this case is suitable for a dog or suitable for the rehab or suitable for treating the last tooth in the arch or whatever. So I just, I just want to stop you there and say that don't think there's a TMD course. This is very much an inclusion course. And those who've done my, my TMD course, the splint course, I very much said, this is not an inclusion course. That was a TMD course. But now this is the occlusion course. And I thought the splint course was, was big in terms of hours and visuals and, and clinical recordings. But uh, since then, I've now got a loop mounted camera, 4K. There's a lot of that footage, a lot oh, of your cases, incredible. loads of your so videos uh, on, on there. So this has got even more clinical content to make it tangible. Like you need to, you, you will see what he's adjusting and how right up close. And um, it leaves nothing to the imagination. You through, don't have it's a to... through the loops view, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, and one thing I've been doing with my under little mini courses and whatnot, and this is why this one is my new flagship one with you, is we want to keep adding to it. Absolutely. Like I, I keep adding to Splint course every three or four months. Still, everyone got lifetime access kind of thing. With OBAP, we're going to add to it. We're going to add, as the new cases come through, as our delegates send up some stuff, we're going to really enhance it so that you never feel as though you're behind the curve. You're always going to be stimulated, engaged, and you can get out from it what you want. And you can dip in and dip out. And as I've said before, I'm a big fan of just-in-time learning, right? Yeah. And so whether you want to just walk the dog, like one of our guys, beat tester, he, his, his thing is he'll always watch my course or our course together as a beat tester while he's walking the dog. And that's his thing. And that's cool. 
but if you chop any onions at the same time, no, chopping any onion cohorts a different cohort. Uh, I don't recommend doing any proper course and watching the course so, while you chop onions. Uh, I don't take any uh, responsibility for anyone who chops their fingers, fingers off or whatever uh, because of that. You but can't do fermentist testing if you're missing you, your fingers. You definitely need your fingers. <laughs> okay, you need fingers for occlusion course. Okay, <laughs> but 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 what I'm trying to say is. So whether you're walking the dog or you've got that class three case next week and you're not sure whether you need to open the OBD or not and what impact that will have, and then therefore you need to look at module four, you can do it at your own pace as it when it suits you. So I'm a big fan of just-in-time learning. I think that online platform, like if you ran this as a live course, it would take a week of a, or maybe the level one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Level two, yeah. pay us five grand. Another one, level three, pay us another five grand. Okay. <laughs> Different pathway levels, nothing like that. This is uh, all encompassing. But you know what? I'm not going to lie. It's going to need you to work. Put the time in to watch. Put the time in to reflect. Put the time to make notes, even though we give you transcripts and, and PDFs and whatnot. I still want you to make notes to gain the most from it. Absolutely. I think, you know, I keep saying about how I'm going to teach you to see. So what I also want you to do is when you've learned the concept, next day you're in surgery, have a look at your patient's teeth, you know, Start seeing those wear facets. Start checking for fremitus. These are things that we're going to teach you how to do. You know, start checking the occlusion before you've actually done your restoration. Because, Basic things. You know, it's stuff like that that, you know, a lot of people just don't do. We don't come out of university having been taught how to conform properly, which is a shame because ultimately we're probably doing our patients a bit of a disservice. We, we have a book that accompanies the course, which is really exhaustive. And the name of this book is, you know how they always say uh, practical occlusion, occlusion made practical. That kind of stuff. Well, ours is tangible occlusion. How can we really break down every element and make it tangible for you? Which is one of my favorite things. It, it sure is. Has How can we make things tangible? How can I actually show you? And on that vein of showing you the visuals that Mahmoud has in terms of showing you every bit of an articulator, showing you every part of his wax up, custom incisal guidance tables, which, by the way, if you haven't heard of, don't worry, don't get scared. Because the way that he's covered it, I've never seen it being covered before. It's so, so, so tangible. It's amazing. Likewise, Jazz has got some incredibly close-up visuals. So what you see is every single dot and line and me taking the burr, which burr I choose, how I round off the cusp, why I do it. Uh, Every aspect of that is is covered. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're there and you will learn what to do and why, or at least you'll learn why Jazz is doing what he's doing. And that, I think, is priceless. And the reason we made it as a digital thing and not like a five weekends with Jazz and Mahmood, like we made it digital for a reason because if you made it a live course, um, it would take, probably seven days or maybe three or four weekends to cover and revise and cover everything. And then also the worst thing is going to uh, a comprehensive occlusion course and then trying to have to think back. And maybe it was four months ago that you went on trying to think back, wait, what, what is it that he or she said? And what do you do with the leaf gauge again? Yeah. What do you do again? Whereas I think there's a beauty in nowadays in 2023, we have videos that you can watch and you can watch again and again and two times speed it and slow it down if you want. Uh, and save it for reference later and just in time learning like, oh, oh yes, I remember there was a whole module on wear patterns on class two div one patients. I've got my patient coming up. Let me watch that video because that is just in time learning. And to have access to that, I think on demand is the real beauty of contemporary education. I think that's the way to go. When you get that patient and you've done a lot of the course and you look at them and you think, I know what's going on here. I can, I can read that wear pattern, even sitting, talking to this patient. You know, a lot of the time I've, I've, I've treatment planned the, you know, part of the part of what I'm going to do, like just speaking to the patient because you can see it, you know, a lot of the time. And then you'll say to them, I need more records. I will need more records. Let's bring you back for a review appointment. And between those two, you'll 
you know, log back onto OBAB and you're like, okay, I'm going to module whatever it may be. And then, you know, you can just remind yourself and that just in time learning and then you apply it straight away. It's like that solidifies it in your mind. Now, one thing as an educator, I pride myself on is support and community. So I think it's important to have what we have is a community aspect. So you get ongoing support. And one thing I've been proud of with some of the other courses I've done is I've always gone back and continually added content, added new PDF, new forms, new videos and stuff. The more of those we can share and discuss and answer your questions, I think the more the information will be solidified in there and it'll be second nature. You'll see it on a patient. I know mm-hmm. what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Real world occlusion, that means that you can no longer say that, you know what, jazz occlusion still confuses me. That is not an option anymore. That's the dream. And I hope that you'll join us in this dream and really be able to implement all of it so you can carry out predictable dentistry and have more fun. Well, there we have it, guys. What we have set up on OBAB is 30 hours. That's right, 30 hours of clinical content, which sounds really daunting, but every time we added a clinical video, we realized we wanted to add another case or another visual or another concept to clarify your understanding. If you have decided that myself and Mahmood are the ones you want to learn occlusion from, then head over to occlusion.online to take advantage of this pre-launch deal. The course access itself begins on the 7th of April, but after 21st of March, the price goes up, and even then, I guarantee you, it's still a bargain for what you're getting. You'll also lose out on two years of access instead of one, So that's another big reason to sign up now and we really look forward to supporting you in your occlusion journey. Whether you're at the very start or an experienced camper, we've got something for everyone. Thanks for listening all the way to the end and we'll see you on OBAB.